The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will be belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger said, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you had never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
God, there is a wideness in your mercy like the wideness of the sea. There is a kindness in your justice which is more than liberty. I hope and pray by thy good pleasure that we all may safely arrive at home. In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Inspirer. Amen. Amen. This brother of yours was dead and has come to life. Death and life, endings and beginnings, wanderings and homecomings, chaos and new creation. This is the stuff of our human experience. And this is the stuff also found in our first reading in the place called Rolling, Gilgal where God said, today I have rolled away from you the disgrace. This was right after Joshua had rolled forward on God's command, incapacitating his entire fighting force by circumcision with the river at his back as a first order of business upon entering the promised land, a space that it was at that time enemy territory. This is all a prequel to the first Passover when the manna ceased and the people started living off the land. Our faith definitely takes guts and is not without loss. And I'm aware that the, Lord, the land in scripture isn't just about boundaries, freedom, truth, responsibility, or a literal or metaphorical room of one's own. It's also about the future promise of restoration. As we approach April 4th, I'm remembering Dr. King's words, I have been to the mountaintop. I have seen the promised land. In our Way of Love Lenten discussions last week, we learned with Lady Wisdom, she who has persisted in taking her stand at the gates, and along the crossroads, calling out to all who live, calling out to us. In today's terms, we could imagine Lady Wisdom standing along a usual commute route by the metro entrances or along the road. Second Corinthians suggests that we see ourselves as ambassadors, but God sends a crew of ambassadors that is diverse enough that we may still find ourselves surprised by God's choice of emissary in the messages we are able to receive. Proverbs suggests that we study the ant as an object lesson in diligence and planning. Christ suggests that we consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air as object lessons in style and stress-free substance. Our church calendar invites reflection on the return of spring as a symbol for the new life that has overcome death. A St. Georgian recently shared a podcast where Terry Gross interviewed Barbara Brown Taylor about her reflections on life, faith, and the challenge of living into our callings as human beings. The conversation sojourned into Barbara Down Taylor's particular journey, including her vocational change from being a parish priest 
to being a priest who is also a college professor. And among the significant differences named, one was the reality that professors give grades. <laughs> Terry Gross then asked Barbara Brown Taylor if she had ever compared the experience of getting, giving grades with the experience of talking about the afterlife from the pulpit. Barbara Brown Taylor perhaps wisely dodged, saying she would have to think about that one a little bit more in the particular interview, but the image coming to mind for me vividly in that moment was an imaginary billboard, perhaps not unlike some of the ones you or I have seen on countless road trips across these United States of ours, similar but with a different message than usual. If today was your last day on earth, do you know what grade you would give yourself in the prayerful task of being human? If today was your last day on earth, do you know what grade you would give yourself in the prayerful task of being human? Now a caveat is in order, lest we try to translate this imaginary billboard literally, missing out on entire swaths of soteriology from redemption to the final resurrection. When Jesus talked about the afterlife, he was talking to a group of people who had already heard a variety of different interpretations of life eternal coming from various different parts of the ancient Near East. Contrasting dominions of love and hatred were not new concepts in Christ's time and culture. But in Matthew 25, Christ drew a picture of people being surprised at the final resurrection, surprised that they had met Christ and cared for Christ over the course of their lives, surprised that they had done this in the times when they cared for the marginalized, the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, or the suffering. Lord, when did we see you thirsty and give you a cup of water? When did we visit you when we, you were sick? When did we welcome you when you were a stranger? It's almost as if these people Christ was commending were like a group of students who had studied long and hard for a particularly difficult final exam and who upon completion looked back on their experience of taking the test and were convinced that they had totally flunked it. Gotten everything backwards, thinking that their answers to every question had been total baloney. But when the results came back, they found themselves asking, how did that happen? The grade written across the top is a solid B+. The gospel story of the prodigal son also reminds us that grace doesn't just happen when we get what we deserve. Grace happens when we get more than we deserve, when we, get, when we realize we're getting something that is much better than what we deserve. God sees our successes as well as our failures. God sees the times when we have offered a silent prayer and responded with all the constructive care we can muster, and God sees the times when we have fallen short of that. Care for ourselves and for our world means refusing to live on autopilot all the time. It means not operating as a human automaton. After all, Jesus was a rather contrarian teacher and practitioner of faith. If we can try to at least imagine how things look from God's perspective, I think the results might surprise us 
not least in terms of the areas where God might be paying particular attention. Jesus told our parable today in response to those who are criticizing him for spending time with outcasts. Our lectionary jumps over two other stories of the lost being found, a woman who finds her lost coin and a shepherd who finds his lost sheep. Now, it would have been so much easier to have never lost the coin or the sheep or the shepherd, but here we are, and Christ is reaching out to heal, to mend, to restore, to set things right. I actually love our New Revised Standards Version's rendition at the end. This brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The NRSV presents the father's words as a direct challenge to the older brother's complaint. But when this son of yours came back, never mind the older sibling's overactive imagination, never mind that the older sibling is effectively trying to disavow his younger brother, in describing the resurrection journey with the caption, this brother of yours, we see a parent reminding a judgmental and self-righteous older sibling of God's gracious love, a care manifested in the relationships between all three. The older sibling is just as beloved as the younger sibling who missed the mark in several more public ways. The father's love, after all, is a public good, a non-rival good, something everyone can enjoy. The father sacrificed his own pride and position by running out to meet the son who had come to himself in the culture of that time period. He saved the younger son from public social opprobrium. And it came at a cost for the father. We might think of the younger son com commodifying his relationship with the father by asking for his inheritance early, effectively saying that his father might as well be dead to him. But the older son was also commodifying the relationship in a different way, by trying to do good work for the father in order to receive the good things that he wants. Perhaps more noticeably, the older sibling told his father about his desire for a party with his friends. It's unclear if he had ever voiced that request previously, but the story ends without us knowing whether the older sibling was able to let go of his pride and a sense that he had earned his reward, his prominent position as the father's dutiful son. The story ends without us knowing whether the older son will join the party where so many others are already rejoicing. The story essentially ends with an open invitation to the homecoming celebration at the table. For those who are more like the older sibling, as well as for those who are more like the younger one. The question remains, will we join the celebration? Can we accept the gracious gift of the meal? In the words of our hymn, here I find my greatest treasure, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. In the words of our gospel, this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Amen.